Well, good evening and welcome to our evening worship. We'll have our text for today, which will take us into the week, to remind us the Pentecost Sunday. We were praying just now that we would be receptive for the Lord to do a new thing among us. And let's, let's not just think it's just a, another Sunday, but the Lord is with us always. So let's read this verse together. The great promise as we think of the generation as well. Let's read it. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Amen to that. Uh, I want to pose a question, please. And uh, as true form, if you know, put your hand up. If you don't, don't get it. Okay. Could we have, uh, what is F-B-N-R? F-B-N-R. We're thinking about, there it is. It is estimated while you think about this. Thank you. Don't tell me yet. I know you're a Bible translator and you're good at this. No, no, I know. Okay. It is estimated that about 50... 55% of people tonight would say that they, with a, a real sense of um, sincerity, and they would say, yes, if I was pushed, I am, in fact, no, yeah, I'm convinced I am SBNR. Right, Mr. Hewitt. Exactly. Isn't he good? Did, did you know that? Hands up, how many people know you said, unless you've been... John Foreman, you didn't know that, did you? No, I know, because you would have said. Okay. So, here is our problem. This is the atmosphere of our day in which, when we try to connect with people, they will say to you, and with sincerity, you know I'm a very spiritual person. They would, they would touch the church with a barge full unless it was just for uh, a funeral or a wedding or something like that um, but they would consider themselves to be um, very spiritual and this is the atmosphere in which and you think of Pentecost how do we connect with people how do we engage for all of the secularism postmodernism there is a genuine longing and affirmation among people that they are spiritual. Somehow they know I am more than body and brain. Now what a great opportunity for us then to uh, connect and engage. So, as a good at work tomorrow, take a risk. Ask one of your colleagues, are you an SBNR? That would be a good conversation, wouldn't it? And you could say, you know, I was in church last night, had a great sermon, such a wonderful evening. Yeah? No, you could, couldn't you? Okay. Spiritual but not religious. And that's wide open for a great conversation. Spiritual but not religious. Here's another question, uh, if we can have that there. I'm going to mess you about a bit. Um, here it is. Is our church too busy doing too many things and as a result doing few of them well. Uh, 
What? Okay. I knew you'd go quiet or not. Um, could we bring the next um, slide up, Sarah, which is um, under what is SBNR about tradition? We come back to that. I just want to there you are. What do you make of this? Tradition? Is the living faith of those now dead? Traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. Discuss. That would be a good A-level question for um, religious studies. Paul says, what I've entrusted to you Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he saw, and, and the, the root word could be the pattern or the tradition. So he was in for that. The converse would be, remember when Jesus in John 5.39, when he said to the scribes and Pharisees, you search the scriptures diligently, but they don't bring you to me. And the tradition blinded them to the need of a savior even though they were um, religious. I'm not sure if they were spiritual. Scribes and Pharisees get a lot of sticks, don't they? So, um, that is an interesting quote. I can't remember where it came from. I read it somewhere. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. And what a wonderful thing to hand on the button of faith and truth to another generation. A very powerful thing to do that. But traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. And Jesus challenged the people of his day with that. And we need to think that through, particularly as we think of um, Pentecost and how God's Spirit wants to do new things among us. Think about that, and we can have our reading now from Jill from Romans chapter 8. Thank you. The reading is Romans chapter 8. From verse 18. Future glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
who hopes for what he has already seen? But if we hope for what we have, what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our, mind, our heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how would he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will charge who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Got my watch here, which is meaningful. So, um, the two, the big heading is don't all these rules in Christianity just take away my freedom, the question that we're posing, um, and alongside that, um, what are the marks of a spirit-filled church? We try to do this in about, within about a quarter an hour. Can somebody set an alarm? We're terrible if all the bells start ringing. Um, okay, so go. Um, 
Well, let's answer the question. Don't all these rules in Christianity take away my freedom? No. No. Neil, there are a few illustrations of thinking about it. Take football, for instance. The people who make the rules on football are the people who love the sport the most. You find out the rules of any sport, you will find that the people who make them want the sport to be more meaningful, more enriching. Take the rules on the, on the road, that's what we call the highway code. If you are travellers on the M25, you have this speed control and you have these signs, you go 70 and then you have to slow down 60. It's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? You go slower in order to get there quicker. You avoid the stop-start thing. There are rules there to help the flow of the traffic and it's no good complaining about it. And many of the rules we have as we understand what is the, 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 the essence of our faith comes into that category. Another thing Neil said this morning was this, that um, something like this, we are not a community of uh, perfect people, we are more like a community of alcoholics, anonymous. Well, that's an interesting illustration. It reminded me of this, um, this book which I, I read a few years ago by Graham Tomlin, uh, which is called The Provocative Church. Let me just read this to you. Um, he, he relates um, uh, his friend, who is also a fellow vicar, um, and this is his experience. He says this. A few years ago, a friend of mine walked into a local church expecting a normal midweek Bible study. As he entered, he saw a group of people sitting around in a circle, as usual. So he took a seat, noticing absent-mindedly that there seemed to be two people um, that he knew this week. In fact, as he looked closer, he realized he didn't recognize anybody in the group at all. Looking at his watch, it dawned on him he got the wrong day. Get to the city church, which, you know, like our church now, various subgroups use and so by this stage, however, the meeting had started, so out of politeness he could hardly leave. A middle-aged woman was speaking about the kind of week she'd had and how she'd managed to avoid, quote, unquote, it, whatever it was. For most of the week, apart from a few minor slips, she had managed. And as each person took their place, to speak, my friend realized he had stumbled in a meeting of the local branch of the Alcoholics Anonymous. Before long, he mumbled an embarrassed apology and left. But not before the meeting had left an impression on him. There seemed to be a measure of honesty an admission of failure, a celebration of success and mutual encouragement in a common struggle that he had rarely that he had rarely found in previous weekly Bible study meetings, which he'd often found rather dry and academic in the course of the discussion. The people who had gathered for the alcoholics meeting came because they knew they needed help. And then he goes on to contrast that, 
to church life where groups of people come together and essentially, if you can use a word, you can keep their cards close to their chest and don't say very much at all. But if we are more persuaded that we are on a journey together and along that journey we should be more confessional if we're willing to risk sharing with people. I had a phone call this week from somebody whom I've known for the last 25 years or more who struggles with problems of alcohol. This person said to me, I want you to help me with the fifth stage. And I said, what is that? This person said, I want to tell you everything, everything about him. Can you imagine somebody wanting to do that? Part of those, those that want to hear know about this uh, meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous, where there's a, a profound sense of realism. This thing's got me. And I can't pretend because it's not going to get me anywhere. Fancy being willing to say to somebody everything that you've done. Well, that in a way is the essence of believing people who journey together. Quite frankly, that's why I think that home groups have a special part in the life of our church. And perhaps some of us who become either disillusioned or disenchanted should get back into it and give it another try. So, let's come to this question then. Um, uh, we leave that for a moment, Sarah and come back, is our church too busy by doing too many things, maybe perfectly good things, um, and as a result, few of them well, not doing few of them well. So here are some key questions we could ask ourselves. There you are, they're all five there. Take a little time out, just um, think about these following the introduction, okay? Adoration. Do we find, let's be honest with each other now, I try to be as well. Do we find Sunday worship feeds our spiritual life? We are spiritual people, aren't we? Enabling us to draw closer to God and take both intimacy and all. The otherness of God his sovereignty and his power, the nearness of God, his love and his mercy. And sometimes it's either either or. It should be both and. Now without being critical, do we find that in our worship? And if not, should we adjust what we do? <coughs> Secondly, Belonging, you know, there is this thing, believing and belonging. If you believe, you belong. Okay. Do you feel you have a contribution to make? Or are you a passive recipient? I know it's a tricky question to ask. Thirdly, compassion. Does the church do anything practical for its local community. This is, we try to use this phrase during the long before the building process. At the moment we used to say we are a church in the community. 
But now we have the community in the church. And that's why I ask, are we doing too much? It might look good as an exercise, and it's great that we, we have this. But what is our core and central conviction as we do these other things? Now, there's a legitimate tension there, and I'm only asking you to think about it. We all have time to discuss this. We quite profitable as we could. Discipleship. It was deeply humbling this morning to have that interview with the truth. Uh, this, this Korean couple, so um, gifted and committed and humbling and challenging. And look what that uh, church in Korea has produced in terms of being missional, reaching out, giving out. And our discipleship. Is there a structure that enables Christians to be accountable to each other? That brings us back to home groups. Being accountable is a bit of a pain sometimes. And evangelism, that the church has a place for questions. As you know, this Jackie in her prayer was praying, you know, that we perhaps haven't spoken to people about Jesus this past week. But let's put it another way. We'll see it in, in, in a moment. Have people spoken to us? Are people asking us the question, what must I do? Well, I don't ask these questions for us to be discouraged, but just try to say, you know, when we come together, what are the things that we do? And, and do think these things through. It'd be good to break up into groups, but we, we, can, we, we can't do that. So let's try to round this off, and we're going to end with a worship time as well. I've been challenged uh, recently uh, at the importance of trying to do the basics well. How do you do the basics well? For example, increasingly anybody who goes to hospital these days, everywhere you go, you'll see these hand washes because they are aware of superbugs. And the basics is wash your hands. Marriage courses and marriage preparation. I would say one of the essential things is learn forgiveness, live forgiveness. Just the basics. Come back to the motorway, you see it. Tiredness kills. A tired driver is as dangerous as a drunk driver. And tiredness doing the right things, even in church life, can be killing. Doing the basics well. The reason I say that, that brings us to, and if we just turn to this now as we conclude, Acts 2, 42, 47. Here, let's go back to our roots very quickly. Okay? Back to our roots. And uh, Acts um, 2. And you know this is quite familiar to most of us, indeed if not to all of us. We ask the question, um, what are the marks of a spirit-filled church? The answer to that, I think it will come up somewhere here, it should do it. So, what are the marks of a spirit-filled church? 
Answer, the marks of a spirit-filled church are the same as those of a spirit-filled believer. But what are our marks? What are our traits? Let's just look at a couple of headings and um, in the next few minutes. In Acts chapter 2 and in uh, verse, uh, there you have it, 36, just read this. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, the proclamation of the gospel. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the Apostle, Well, what shall we do? What shall we do? A personal concern to learn more about God to such an extent that people ask us questions. Have we stopped learning? Have we stopped learning? You remember, Peter is the preacher, we, we won't look it up now, but in Acts 11, this Pentecostal preacher, filled with the Holy Spirit, is saying no to God three times. If he can do it, so can we. Secondly, a practical commitment to others. We are the church, not simply individuals. A part of the whole. So in verses 44 and 45 of Acts 2. And all the believers were together and everything in common. I don't know if they agreed with everything. But there was a communality among them. We were people, they would say, who were willing to share with others. What the Lord has shared with us. It would be interesting as a discussion, isn't it, that verse 45 wasn't sustainable, selling all their possessions and so on. But the Christians have a strong sense of community, of communality, as a commitment to, to others. Thirdly, a, a prayerful consecration to the Lord Jesus. Look in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Consecration to the Lord Jesus is not a private love affair, is it? All the references are here in the plural. And lastly, this powerful confirmation to unbelievers. To unbelievers. Praising God and joining the faith of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now I know that's revival time. And we're not in that. But it's there, and it's there not to discourage us or to shame us or anything like that. But nevertheless, we look at unbelievers and we would wonder why it is that we could know people for such a long time 
and that they haven't come to a living faith in Jesus. We are in a post-Christian society and most of the people are SBNR. But it is an opportunity for us to ask questions. The marks of a spirit-filled church and the marks of a spirit-filled believer. And yes, the church has got lots of things to do and to sort out, sure. <coughs> but we need to be part of that. Part of that. So can I encourage you now in our worship as the group leaders just to think about some of these things. Let them come together and you make your response. Response to the Lord Jesus on this evening. When yes, it's a date in the diary, Pentecost, but it can be much more than that. Much more than that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the way your word speaks to us, encourages us, rebukes us, challenges us, points us to you. And we thank you for our time together because we can encourage each other and build each other up. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, particularly on this Pentecost day. We pray that we would be full of the spirit, the gift of God to us. And as we go into this week, we would ask, please, Lord, for your blessing. We know that you go ahead of us. Help us to follow you, that we'll be open to both ask questions and answer them in the power of the Spirit, that others may be drawn to Christ, the Saviour of the world. And in his name we pray, and for his glory. Amen. Amen. If you share the words of the grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all.